0: Well, Church at the Red Door, I've got to tell you, this is uh, this is challenging, man. I, uh, we, we started, we got kicked out of where we were at UCR at the campus, and then we stayed on campus, we were able to set up a set, and uh, unfortunately, after just one week of being on that beautiful set that we had last week, uh, as you know, California has initiated a uh, shelter in place, and so we're not, they're com- on complete lockdown. So, just to let you know, we are right here in my office, in my house, and will be for the foreseeable future. So I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know if we're going to be looking at three weeks or a month or three months. I have no idea, but uh, here's here's what we're going to do. So we're still going to be coming to you every single week, uh, God willing, 9.30, Sunday mornings, and that's uh, hopefully you're over a cup of coffee right now, and uh, we're excited about this. You know, I've really been praying about this this week, and... um, I was asking the Lord, Lord, I need a word, because last week we talked a little bit about fear and it's kind of everywhere. Everywhere you look, there's conversation about fear and people freaking out and uh, neighbors and things. And I've called many of you this week and some of you, but you know, even more than fear is really this just deep sense of loneliness. And I've got to tell you, it has broken my heart at how many of you feel so isolated. I know some of you uh, gals have maybe recently lost your husbands, and uh, this is challenging for you. And I had some conversations this morning, and just because of that, you know, it's really, really challenging for you, and it's challenging for us as the pastoral staff because our hearts are just broken. Uh, I was thinking this week as well about Psalm 91, and if you give me a chance, I just want to read a little bit of this to you uh, as it relates to first fear and then loneliness Psalm 91 is a classic classic area in the scripture where he's crying out for protection or for refuge from from all the evil that's around him and it actually is so pertinent to where we are today Psalm 91 says he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty I will say to the Lord my refuge and my fortress My God in whom I trust. Now that's critical because he's saying you're my refuge. You're my God. I trust in you. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. This whole coronavirus is, he could have been speaking exactly about that. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. Now, catch this. He says, You won't be afraid of the terror by night, he said, or the arrow that flies by day, or of the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. Now, that grabs me. And, and you will not, and you will only look on yourself with your eyes at the recompense of the wicked, for you've made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor any plague come near your tent. Now, again, I think in an ultimate way, just recognizing the resurrection. No, you know, we live on this side of the resurrection. And as a function of living on this side of the resurrection, we have no fear. I mean, we just have no fear of death. I've got to be honest, who's thinking about this week, I have zero fear, zero anxiety, zero. I mean, I just don't fear it. And I, and I was asking myself, I wonder why, well, because you're young and if you get it, there's a, a, a low probability that you'll die. It goes way beyond that. I just don't have fear of death in any way. You know, we've taken all these trips to the Middle East and some people get kind of fearful about that. I have no fear in that. There's just no fear in death anymore. And so that would be the first thing that I would say is just understanding that we are now covered in the blood of Christ, that we live on this side of the resurrection. And because he was raised, the Bible simply says that we will be raised. And that's critical to understand that on this side of the resurrection, nothing can touch me. You know, the Satan actually used Psalm 91 to talk to Jesus, actually to tempt Jesus. And Jesus' response essentially was, uh, not to test God in this. In other words, the test for God is not whether or not uh, the plague ever touches us, whether or not the coronavirus ever touches anybody that we know. That's not the promise. The promise that is that it has no eternal consequence. There's nothing at all that can touch me in an eternal sense. The fear that should arise in people are, are people that haven't yet believed into the father and believed into the son and as a result that's where the fear should arise not because of a coronavirus so if you're out there today and you're thinking you know i don't know if i know jesus there should be a a deep sense in which you feel uncovered if you will or a sense of fear and if you are covered by that, and you've believed into Jesus and are now following him, let me tell you something, there is zero fear, zero fear. You know, I was also thinking about loneliness and and uh, I was thinking about Psalm 102. Let me read. It says, uh, this is a psalmist just crying out and saying, Lord, Lord, I, I am really struggling here with loneliness. It says, I lie awake and I've become like a lonely bird on a, on a housetop. Some of you may be feeling that. You know, this whole social distancing thing is probably one of the most challenging things we'll ever undergo I mean social distancing I don't even know what that means I hate that I hate even being not being together at church at the red door and not having the ability to give you a hug or to have the ability to you know at least shake you shake your hand or look you in the eye and so the challenge is extraordinary for me and I've got to tell you and I know it is for you as well not being able to gather is driving me a little bit mad and yet as I was holding that before the Lord I said Lord why would it be that we can't we can't come together what what is this that's going on we're not even have the ability to come together and I just felt like he gave me a word so I want to go down a path with you and I want to talk about isolation as being something that's actually a God thing and how might God use it in fact I I want you to think for a minute just about some of the incredible forefathers that that we've had in the faith and that in some ways they were isolationists. I know that sounds a little bit strange, but now think about this for a second. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about John the Baptist. I mean, John's very life was a life in the wilderness. In fact, Isaiah, some 700 years before the time of John the Baptist, was looking forward and saw a voice crying not downtown, not with a bunch of friends at a party, but a voice crying in the wilderness. John John's very life was one that was set in isolation. And as a result, he was used mightily, so mightily, in fact, that Jesus was able to say about John the Baptist, up until now, not a single man has ever lived that was greater than John the Baptist. And I would suggest to you in some ways that the reason for that was that he was in fact in isolation. He had the ability and that quiet and that solitude to constantly hear from the Lord. I also think about Jesus himself in Matthew 14, 13, after Jesus had heard that John had been beheaded, it simply says, when Jesus had heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded, or some translations say lonely place by himself, and when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. But his first instinct uh, on reflection and the suffering that he experienced because of John's own death, uh, the first thing that he did is that he sought isolation. It's not unusual for to see that. We see that over and over in the life of Jesus. In fact, Jesus constantly would be uh, going away to pray, right in the middle of the action, uh, going away to a lonely place. Constantly we see that in the life of Jesus. I also think about paul you know paul uh, was blinded on the road to damascus and on his way back what happened well uh he finally the scales fall from his eyes and then the first thing he does is he goes away to arabia galatians 1 and 2 says that paul the apostle paul went away for three years we don't know what kind of isolation that looked like but one thing that we do know is that it was in those intervening years that he got what he called a revelation of Jesus. And then as we know, the Apostle Paul was responsible for nearly two-thirds of the entirety of the New Testament. So without isolation, he doesn't have that kind of connection. He doesn't have that ability, really, to even be able to hear from the Father. And I, I think that's profound. That's profound. I wonder what it would have looked like had he not had those years away. And again, we've been talking about this as a church for a while, We're calling it the wilderness. I think also about John the disciple who is responsible for 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the Gospel of John potentially, and then even the revelation. And we know that he was uh, lonely and secluded and isolated. Where? Off in the Aegean Sea on the island of Patmos. And if it wouldn't have been for that, he wouldn't have been able to write as he did and have the revelations that he did. It takes solitude. It takes isolation. It takes getting away it's challenging this seems to me folks to be honest with you something that maybe god not i won't get into the theological debate on whether or not he caused this or just allowed it either way he's allowed it but the fact is that god i believe is using this as a a global reset if you will and maybe an individual reset For you, I know he's already doing that with me. It's forcing me, everything's like stripped. I can't, I can call people. I'm on the phone all day, but I have so much downtime now. It's a strange feeling. It's difficult for me to even go out and see people. Now we're in this shelter in place thing in California. And what am I left with? Well, I'm left with prayer. I'm I'm left with time to worship. I'm I'm left with a lot of time to to read and to study and to, to think deeply and just to be quiet. It's, it's profound. I also think about what happens when I get alone. Well, it's always the same. Now, as a follower of Jesus, when I can get quiet before the Lord, and this way, this is self-imposed. It's not even a decision I've made. Everything, the games are off. The, everything's gone. I can't, we can't travel. We can't even go out to dinner. We can't go to the movie. Everything has like been forced on us in some ways. And so Mark chapter 9, verse 2, listen to this. It says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain. And now catch this, and when they were, what, all alone in the NIV, and he was transfigured before them. I will say this, I believe that Jesus is really glorified. Now, what does that mean? He becomes uh, more apparent to us. In lonely places, he took them up, they were alone on the mountain, and he was glorified, he was transformed before them. In other words, we could be we began to get a sense of who Jesus really is when we are isolated. And I want to make a couple of more cases for that for you this morning. Now, think about this when we think about Jesus and his isolation in terms of a discipline, Jesus. It's just, it was a practice. I'll talk to you next week a little bit about Dallas Willard and uh, his Spirit of the Disciplines. One of the foundational principles of this uh, life, the spiritual life, is isolation. You know, through the years, I've probably challenged, I don't know how many men through the years, to get away, especially in a moment of crisis. Get away, uh, and some even do it annually. Go to, get a hotel, check in for one or two days, Take the remote control, turn it into the desk. Don't do anything. Take nothing but worship music, your Bible, and a notepad and sit there and be quiet. Now, I've had some really funny looks at me through the years, but I have never in the history of my ministerial life ever challenged a man that went away for a period of time and came back and said, well, I got nothing. I didn't. I, I, I don't know Jesus any better. I don't know. Every single time they come back with, tomes of things written uh, you cannot believe and they would say always the same thing at first it was quiet I thought, man this is going to be difficult the first hour or two but then all of a sudden it felt like the heavens kind of opened up in their isolation and in their solitude and God began to if you will glorify his son in other words they began to see Jesus as he truly exists Uh, the fullness of his truth, not the fullness, but a more comprehensive view of who Jesus is, and it's had a profound effect on people. You know, the question for us too is, is God trying to get our attention? I mean, think about historically where God has taken something tragic, uh, both causal on his part, or allowance, or whatever it is, and he's taken things, and he's gotten the world's attention Uh, obviously we can think about genesis 6 and the flood that certainly got their attention you think about uh, moses himself i mean uh, all the wonders that he showed i mean they had to again i I alluded to this a couple weeks ago eugene peterson i love what he says that he had to do all these wonders to cleanse the imagination of the israelites from their old way of thinking which is going to be something that we're going to return to over and over. We're going to talk about what it means for him to uh cleanse our imaginations. We need to have our imaginations cleansed. We're so much a part of the world. Uh, being in it, but not being of it is so challenging. I mean, we, we're in the world, but how do we not become the in the spirit of the world? Uh, obviously, Jesus coming to earth cleanse the imaginations of those who had ears to hear and believed and, and now God uses all kinds of things. I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to live during the time of one of the world wars. Uh, we're losing most of those folks now, those World War II babies uh, are now kind of exiting stage right and we don't really have a, a, a war like that but in some ways 9-11 as I alluded to last week, um, you know what happened in 2008 with the crisis and and they tell me this week that if we have an, another down week, we're on path to have the worst stock market month since 1931. I mean, it's just, it's unprecedented really uh, in most of our lifetimes to see kind of what's going on around us. And so fear wants to creep in and all these things. The question is, might God be able to use this as a reset in our lives, a global reset, if you will. And also as a result, an individual reset in which we kind of take a step back. We call it social distancing. We remove ourselves from the activity. It's imposed on many of us now. Remove ourselves from the activity of just the activity of the world. Everything has been closing down. Restaurants, everything's closing down we have a moment in time that God may want to be using for several reasons. For those who don't know him, uh, it would quiet their mind enough to maybe hear his voice. Maybe even right here, maybe some of you, you know, I don't know if I believe in this God thing. I don't know, uh, I don't know that I believe in Jesus. I, I don't understand it. it. It seems like you have a lot of questions, but there's a moment where you're actually doing some of this due diligence on your own part. You know, I was thinking, I was having a conversation with one of my friends uh, in Europe this week, and uh, he said he, he made a term. He said, Quaranta, uh, Quaranta Journey. And I said, What is Quaranta Journey?